good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Turn tonight once more to 1 Kings 19. We're going to read just the last three verses of this chapter as we continue to think about the life and times of the prophet Elisha. Verse 19 begins, So he, that is Elijah, departed thence, and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plying with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth. And Elijah passed by him, and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen, and ran after Elijah, and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him, and took a yoke of oxen, and slew them, and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen, and gave unto the people, and they did eat. Then he arose, and went after Elijah, and ministered unto him. Amen. May God bless his word. Let me begin by again reminding you of the character and the influence of Ahab. These events, of course, are happening while Ahab is still king. At this time, and we have the account of First uh, Kings chapter 16, the verse number 30, And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord. And it was Ahab's purpose to promote Baal worship and to divert the people away from the true and the living God. Oh yes, he was the latest in a line of kings gradually, but certainly leading the people away from the Lord. And so in the time of Elisha, we have the religious climate being one of idolatry and compromise. And so I think we read the accounts of Elijah and Elisha with so much profit because we see ourselves living in such similar times. And yet we've noted that in these times God is not absent. We praise the Lord that he is not a God afar off, but he is a God who is continually working in the affairs of nations and in the affairs of people, still ruling, still keeping his remnant people, still speaking to the world through his prophets. And what a delight it is that to see in such wicked and compromised days, we see a man like Shaphat, referred to in verse number 19, Elisha's father. And we saw last time that I think there's Enough to infer from these verses that Shaphat was a man who was seeking to raise a home to the glory of God. We peeked through the keyhole, if you like, of his home, and we saw a man who is not being conformed to this present evil world, but a man prepared to bear personal witness to the Savior. He names his son Elisha. Bearing witness that the true and living God, and not, not Baal, but the true and living God was his God and his Savior. Elisha, at this time in this chapter, we find the account of his personal call. We must realize when you read these verses, you're reading a particular call to a particular individual at a particular time for a particular function. There are no more Elishas 
He had a function in the will of God to perform that was unique to him. This was God's calling in his life. He was anointed, verse 16, to be prophet in the room of Elijah. He was going to slay those who escaped from the sword of Jehu, verse 17. He was going to bring judgment through the preaching of the word. Elisha was a called servant of God. And in many ways, there are principles and lessons here that apply to the call to the Christian minister or to the Christian missionary. You read these events and you see a man who was faithful in little and then given a role to serve in much. You see a man prepared to leave all on the altar and to do the Lord's bidding. These are the ways of the Lord in the call to service. I don't ever to neglect the emphasis again in the Word of God that God does call individuals into service. He puts his finger upon somebody's life and gives them a compulsion in their heart that they cannot neglect to do the bidding of God. Well, when we read these verses, we should remind ourselves of what's involved in such a call. Somebody prepared to leave all on the altar in obedience to the command of God. Someone prepared to to follow the Lord faithfully and fully, no matter what it might mean in their lives. And so we bring this word tonight, conscious of that important application, and yet I do believe you can see these verses in a more general sense. His call essentially is a call to serve God, a call in the general sense to be faithful to the Lord and to the Lord's bidding. In Elisha's days, serving God for him meant serving Elijah. That was his purpose. But in our day, in our generation, marked by wickedness, our call to serve God is a call to follow and serve Christ. Elijah was God's ordained prophet. Christ is God's ordained prophet. And so as we see the, uh, the witness here of Elisha and his determination to follow Elijah, so we, we see in these events principles and pictures that would instruct us regarding our own obligation to be faithful in the service of Christ, the prophet of God. And so note, first of all, we see here prompt submission to the command of God. When you read the events here, Elijah passes by him and casts his mantle upon him. It is a symbol signifying the call of God on Elisha to bear the mantle, to take on the responsibility that Elijah had carried. We know that symbol is what's involved because of what's said in verse number 16, that Elisha was to be anointed as prophet in Elijah's room. And so the mantle is passed upon him. And we, we even use that term in, in local speech. We refer to passing on the mantle. It was a sudden call. I don't think there's any indication that Elisha was expecting this or waiting for this. Again, just as a passing side of application, that is often the case for men who've ended up in the Lord's work. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, God put his finger upon their lives and they felt this compulsion to go into the Lord's service. It's a sudden call coming from a sovereign God. See, whilst the command and the call was a surprise to Elisha, it was within the sovereign purpose and plan of God. Whilst we have no indication that Elijah had met Elisha before this, we have the indication in verse number 16 that God knew all about Elisha. 
God's sovereign plan for this man was that he would indeed be the prophet following Elijah. You see, in a day when we presume, I shouldn't say we, in a day when many presume that they have the ultimate right over their own lives, we need to remind individuals and remind ourselves that God has the right to command what he desires when he desires it. Individual, personal autonomy is, a, again, a mark of the present society in which we live. People decide to do as they please. They, they have these matters of, of rights, and they can, they can claim their autonomy at, at, at any time. Remind ourselves again that we live under the authority of God, and that God demands and commands what he desires when he desires it. And so what you see in Elisha, as this sudden call comes from a sovereign God, you see this submissive response. You have in the verse number 21, he takes the yoke of oxen, he slews them, boils the flesh. We find that he says goodbye to his parents. And in verse number 21, he goes and follows after Elijah. That was prompt submission to the call of God. Sadly, there are some harsh judgments made of Elisha here. Some people read verse number 20 and they, they imply that Elisha here is wavering in obedience. Let me go back and kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow thee. And they do so because they falsely identify Elisha with the man in Luke 9. Turn there, please. And I mention this to you because most of you are very well versed in the Gospels. And so when you read Elisha's words in 1 Kings 19, you will read them through the prism of Luke chapter 9. And you remind yourselves that in Luke chapter 9, another says to Jesus, verse 61, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And so people identify this man in Luke chapter 9 with the, with the, the person of Elisha. And they say that he hears somebody who's looking back. Right. Clearly, that is, that's not fair. It just does not do justice to the testimony of 1 Kings 19. We find no rebuke from Elijah, and we find no indication that Elisha is not fit for the kingdom. In fact, the very opposite is the case. And while this is a passing similarity here, you've got to be careful that you don't take these passing similarities and then make wrong, and dare I say, harsh judgments. I think those who harshly judge Elisha here are revealing their hearts. That is a heart that tends to see the worst in people. And if ever there's a, a chance to see bad in somebody, they will, they will jump on that opportunity and see bad in someone where there is no bad to see. The Lord's purpose in Luke's gospel is to warn about the divided heart. One who starts but does so reluctantly and then turns back. That's not Elisha. There is no divided heart here. He has burnt his bridges, or should I say he's burnt his oxen. He's burnt the ply, he's said farewell, and he presents a picture of one who's following the Lord fully and faithfully. 
You see, in Luke chapter 9, there's an interesting verse to look at back in verse number 23 of Luke 9, when you're there already. Luke 9, the verse number 23, where Christ indicates what is the nature of being a disciple of Christ. And Luke 9, verse 23 says, And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever loses life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantage if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? For whosoever shall be ashamed of me in my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. And so there is, there is in the command to follow Christ, there's a command to deny self and to follow Christ fully, taking up the cross daily. And if we don't do that, not only can we not be a faithful servant of Christ, but we can't be Christ's disciples at all. So that's why I said to you that what we see in 1 Kings 19 is, is not simply a picture of one entering into public service and ministry. Well, that's true. But it is actually simply a reflection of one who is submissive to the command of God. God has a sovereign right in all of our lives. And we have a duty. We have a duty to be faithful to the souls of men. To our children, to those under our care, we be a duty to be faithful to them, to indicate to them what it means to be a disciple of Christ. That it's not simply kneeling down at a bedside and praying a prayer, or putting a date in a Bible or such things, but rather to be a follower of Christ is to deny self and follow Christ fully. In absolute submissive obedience. That's what's involved in being a Christian. And so that is not a higher level of Christianity. That is simply what Christianity involves. And we have a duty to be clear on these things and to make it clear to others. If I can use the language of the psalmist in Psalm 119 in the verse verse number 59, where the psalmist says, I thought on my ways and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. We must... It must be clear that when we consider our sinful lives and we see our sin in the sight of God and we see the commands of God to repent and believe the gospel that we delay not to keep the commandments of God but rather we're prompt in our obedience. And certainly when we consider Elisha it is my burden that our young people would be prayed over that we pray much for their lives that they would enter adulthood like Elisha here with the determination to do God's bidding, not the bidding of their parents, not the bidding of their own sinful choices, but rather they would be submissive to the sovereign God and do the Lord's bidding. These are things to pray over. This world is determined to squeeze into its mold and that we would raise a generation of young people that are pursuing all of their ambitions in this world. And that their focus and their attention is often in pleasing parents and pleasing their peers, but not in submissively obeying the will of God. For Elisha to obey God was to obey God promptly. It was prompt submission to the command of God. There was also personal sacrifice, though. Personal sacrifice in following the Lord. 
We've got to be very careful and always cautious. When we think about the idea of sacrifice when following Christ, David Livingstone, the famous missionary to Africa, he said this, If a commission to obey an earthly monarch is considered to be a privilege, how then can a commission to obey a heavenly king be considered to be a sacrifice? It's an honor to serve the country. Again, you see, you know in this country, uh, perhaps better than than many, you see the honor, what it is to to serve the flag and to serve the constitution, to serve the nation. There's great honor in that, great dignity, great esteem and privilege. But those who are called to serve God, they are called to serve a heavenly king. And if one is a privilege, then we should not count the other a sacrifice. However, we do know the Word of God does use language of sacrifice when it comes to our following of Christ. Romans 12, we are to offer our bodies a living sacrifice. There is a count, there is a cost to be counted. And you see that here in Elisha's experience. He he leaves security. Twelve yoke of oxen was a mark of wealth. He had a secure future. He had a big enough farm that required 12 yoke of oxen to, to do the work. This was no small holding. This was a, this was a vibrant family business. Elisha, the son of Shaphat, had that before him. He leaves that security. He leaves the community. Look at verse number 21. When he, when he boils the flesh with the oxen, he gives unto the people and they did eat. There's a community here. There are those who seemingly were happy to come and dine with Elisha, to enjoy time of community, fellowship, and company, and warmth. People who seemed to be fond of Elisha, there were undoubtedly some sad and painful farewells here. He leaves security. He leaves community. He leaves familiarity. To follow Christ for Elisha, to follow Elijah, as it were, uh, life would never be the same again. You read the accounts of his life and you see things that he, I'm sure, had never expected to come. He leaves popularity. There is no appeal to men to be associated with Elijah. He's the troubler of Israel. He's the one who's causing all this trouble and now you're going to serve him and be associated with him? Oh, dear people, I trust you see the parallels. To follow Christ may lead to conflict in your work. It may lead to a break of harmony in your homes. It may lead to financial hardship. There are many tangible consequences to choosing to follow Christ. Whenever the Free Presbyterian Church was established in in Ulster in the, the 1950s, a number of the families were broken in two as children were converted and came to know Christ, and they would go to their parents, and they would say to their parents, we are leaving the established church. We're leaving the Presbyterian Church, or the Church of Ireland, because that church was dead and apostate, and we're, we're going to follow Christ. And to do that cost families, there was, there was a vision. There was financial consequences. There was businesses being left behind. All of these things were true. And in these early days of the free church, there was a, a text, a clarion call that was often preached, and I've spoken to the older men who tell me this. 
And regularly men would preach on Hebrews 13, 13. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp bearing his reproach. And over time, there is an increasing comfortableness with being involved in a work such as this. Publicly acceptable, less of a reproach. Oh dear people, we must understand that bearing Christ's name is to bear a reproach. Moses made that choice. He esteemed the reproach of Christ better than the riches of Israel, of Egypt. He understood, he considered the cost. He had, he had consideration to the recompense of the reward. He, un, he understood that it was better to lose all for having Christ. They have Christ as everything, no matter what else may be lost. You think of the apostles. They asked the question, Mark chapter 10. Peter says, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. That's what they did. You know, the experience of Elisha is not unique to Elisha. There was the, the recognition as time and on that these men were going to have to leave all to follow Christ. On the Lord encourages them. There is no man that left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the Gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands oh, with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. I, I, I am so thankful that the Lord is not unmindful to the cost that many of you have carried in choosing to follow Christ. And you've, you've been estranged from family who consider you to be a best unusual in your allegiance to Christ Jesus. And at worst, they cause you to be a, a cause of, of an object of their reproach and their scorn. Christ knows that. Whilst there is no sacrifice in following Christ, there is certainly a cost. And are we prepared to sacrifice anything to follow Christ? Where is our heart in these things? Is our devotion to Christ and to His Word so that whatever, whatever would come across our path, we would not sacrifice Christ for anything this world has to offer? And so you have the personal sacrifice in following the Lord. And finally, you have the posture of service in following the Lord. Look at the end of verse number 21. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. We have an interesting aside later on in the narrative in 2 Kings chapter 3 in the verse number 11 when they come to describe Elisha. It says there, And here is Elisha the son of Shaphat, which poured water on the hands of Elijah. What a description of his ministry. They went around with a jug of water and just poured water in Elijah's hands. Is that all he did for him? No. But it's a summary of the servant role that he occupied. I remember being in Kenya, and when you came to mealtime, the host would come around with a jug, and you'd put your hands out, and you'd, they would literally they'd pour water over your hands as your hands would be washed. And I remember the time just being very consciously of the humility of the host and gladly pouring water over your hands. He, here Elisha is described as being one who ministered unto him. You see, obeying the Lord is not always glamorous. In fact, it's rarely glamorous. It's often a call to humble, unnoticed service. And one of the troubles that God's people find 
is that they come into fellowship with God's people. They, be, they become part of a church and their, their desire is to serve. And sadly, at times, there can be a carnality and a fleshliness, a desire for prominence and to be noticed. But what you see in the Word of God, that those who be greatest must be the servant, the minister of all. For Christ came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, to give his life a ransom. There's a servant heart in Christ, and those who are Christ, they have that humble servant's heart. And one of the marks of the child of God is a mark of humility, prepared to take the lowest place, glad to serve without anybody knowing anything about it. Glad to serve humbly. Glad to serve happily without ever having the praise of men. That is the example we see here in Elisha. He serves. He ministers. You see, Christ in John 13 at the head of the table leaves the head of the table and puts upon him the form of a servant. And he goes and washes the disciples' feet and he tells them that they are to go and do likewise. He thought not robbery to be with God, but humbled himself, taking the form of a servant. You see, do you see here in Elisha an Old Testament figure of New Testament Christianity? You see, faithfulness to God is active. You know very well, and I'm not trying to uh, I'm not trying to insult your, your intelligence in the Word of God, but for, for many, religion is something that they have within their heart. You, you go to the doors, you meet people in the streets, and you ask them about their faith, and they say, well, yes, I have a faith. It's a, it's a private thing. I, I keep it to myself. But actually, when you study the Word of God, you see that faithfulness to God is active. It is obeying the will of God no matter the cost. And it's serving Christ humbly, no matter the cost. No matter how small the act may be, we are glad to get a cup of water in Christ's name. We're glad to serve the body of Christ. We're glad to make Christ known. Faithfulness to God is active. That is what the Bible teaches. And we have a duty to make sure people understand that. And they don't succumb to the easy believism of this present evil age, the religious compromise that would have a low view of what it is to follow Christ. To follow Christ means taking up a cross, denying self, and following him daily. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170. That's 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified.